0: Welcome to the Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the
1: Bible and
0: make a playlist. I'm Matt Cadel, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran
1: Church. i up, Zach Harrison, pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry School, Boulder, and America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Europa University.
0: Zach, we have a guest today.
1: This is a huge event. Yeah, huge huge app. we uh we have a guest we teased the guest a little bit in the past um and uh i'm super excited matt because we have with us today eve barsley of uh snide we talked about the show eve uh in anticipation for a long time then we did a, a review that was mostly favorable review um i'm sure you read it already heard it uh but uh we are so excited that you're with us and grateful uh, uh
2: as well so thanks for uh thanks for being with us well, yeah. Thank you, guys. It's my uh, it's my pleasure. You know, cool. Um, oh, before we proceed, though, I should just let you know that uh, Zach is much quieter than uh, than like you need to get either closer to your mic or like one of you guys. Yeah. As much is much louder. And uh, there we m- more better. Yeah, now you're uh, all right. You're more, you're more equal in your volumes. Cool. Anyway. Thanks. <laughs> you it's can so great edit to have an audio
0: and- person on the podcast.
1: <laughs> we normally send it. We have a a, a a guy who like produces it and puts it together, but he just gets it. I haven't like seen that guy in person in like five or six years. He just gets it in a Dropbox.
2: Uh, yeah. And we get no, we- notes that say you suck. We could just spend the whole the whole podcast just talking about technical issues. <laughs> that would be very compelling, but uh, but I you can edit. You know, you can go into your ZenCaster. Oh my gosh! And then cut out the bits you don't you don't want. You know, I think uh, anyway. But uh, but yeah. So uh, I'm I'm psyched to be here, and I'm psyched to talk to you guys.
1: Uh, awesome. Uh, some of the stuff that that I kind of had in mind for for talking to you about is uh, you know, the the newish Wait, now I'm album. I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry, yeah. No, please. Now now I feel like you're too, you're I'm too loud. loud. No, now it's, like, too. it's kind of distorting. <laughs> you're <laughs> right. right. I think you I think the problem was that Matt, was it, Matt? it was yeah, Matt. Matt. Matt is yeah. like way too loud. I don't know why too that loud. is.
0: Okay. Oh, my gain is really high. How about this?
2: Yeah, you're this like better? overpowered. Yeah. You, yes. Yes. All right. I think this is this better? Yes, you sound better. Do I sound better? You're still kind of... You know why? I I'm think still... maybe take, like, point the mic mm-hmm. more, like, more, you know what I'm saying? No. no.
1: Oh, no, I had the wrong sound. More better?
2: Um, No. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, no, just don't, I don't, I wouldn't get too close because, yeah, it's okay. it kind of distorting slight.
1: Gotcha. Uh, you just send us an invoice and we'll... <laughs> We'll, we'll pay it you're putting Nick right, out of a yeah. job right now
2: <laughs> well you know you don't want to you don't want to give you want to give your your engineer uh, you know clean tracks you know what I'm saying you don't want to give him tracks he can't work
1: with. Um, that's what Nick's been saying for a long for time
2: <laughs> yeah. anyway all right sorry it's all good cool I'm good let's go let's do it. <laughs> So obviously here
1: on the podcast we've been uh, uh big fans of the new album since it came out uh in 2020 and one of the the things that I've heard like bandied about uh bandied about who says that I did um <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I've heard about the album uh whether in interviews or folks writing about it reviews and stuff is like that it that it certainly seems like there is like a mystical mysticism kind of like edge to it uh and so i'm super curious about how um i mean how, i don't hear a lot of uh nearly like explicit like mystical <laughs> mysticism stuff in many albums these days uh how do you find yourself like how do you end up in that place so so that's my kind of like big question um and so however you want to kind of like get at that whether that's like Longer journey stuff or like more, more close stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to hear.
2: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, longer, longer journey. I, all right. So yeah, I, uh, I was raised by godless Jews as I, as I told you. So I, uh, I was an atheist, I guess, without even really realizing it, you know, because that's just kind of what it sounds like. My parents were. Were Jewish ethnically from Israel, mm-hmm. but they rejected the religious part of it. They converted their Judaism into Zionism. Hmm. Their parents did, at least. Anyway, I don't need to get mired in the and all that. But point being that I I grew up. If there's with,
1: any place to get mired in that? I think <laughs> this is the. We could
2: where do I get mired script. into like Zionism? And, but yeah, my grandparents were or like the Bernie Sanders type Jews that are Jewish, but have no religion at all and, and lean more towards like communism. And that's what Zionism kind of is in a way. Hmm. It's like Jewish communism. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so that's how I was brought up. And then, uh, but as I, as I came of age, I, uh, that didn't feel right to me. You know what I'm saying? It didn't feel right. It didn't sit right with me, but But I didn't have any religious, I didn't have any like religion, you know, I didn't have any way Mm -hmm. into a religion in any meaning, in any real, any practical sense, you know, like I had no desire to go sit in some synagogue and hear some rabbi, you know, I didn't, that seemed, the times that I had been in a synagogue seemed very boring and unappealing. And the thought of going to a church, like Christianity made me kind of uncomfortable because I wasn't Christian, you know, and you're just really on the outside of it, it like anything, you know, yeah. like, I mean, so anyway, so I felt, I felt apart from any religious tradition. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I, how I came of age, I would say as a younger man. And then I, in my, in the nineties, when I was in my twenties and stuff, I was very, uh, unhappy. Like I was very depressed, <laughs> um, and, uh, I wouldn't say suicidal, but your twenties is a, didn't, didn't a great time yeah, for exactly. depression. I was like, I was, I could life, I could sort of take it or leave it. You know, I wasn't like I, I didn't really plan much for my future, and I had a very kind of dark and cynical sense about humanity. And you know, my grandparents were like Holocaust survivors, so I, hmm. you know, I just had a very dark sense of of life and a very godless. Story. So. But again, and I think, so I think the reason I started writing songs and trying to just write and just be whatever, an artist or a writer or whatever the hell I am, um, was was to work through, like, I think it, it's grounded in a kind of, and I don't even, you know, like, I, to, I don't, like, part of me doesn't even want to doesn't even want to put a name on it. I don't want to say, like, it's religious or it's spiritual or it's mystical. To me, it's just like, it just seems so obvious to me that, like life just to be alive is kind of, is a mystery, you know, <laughs> to me it's more, I'm just trying to understand myself and, and, and I, and I guess maybe, I don't, anyway, whatever. I, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going on a tangent, uh, but back to my, my, uh, my, my journey. So, and then, and I I was interested, you know, I've read a lot of like those Karen Armstrong books I've read, like I, I was interested in religion. I read that Constantine's sword book. You know, I watched documentaries. Like and I, and I, and I would occasionally read the Bible, but the Bible scared me. I was very <laughs> scared of the Bible and like afraid to even look at it. Awesome. Not. A, I was weird. You know, like I was. Just, I, I assumed I wouldn't understand it, or I assumed I'd open to some page that was just that was kind of incomprehensible. But I but I, but I, I started to sort of dip my little toe in, in that. But I took it more from like an academic perspective. Like I still, so that was me, my, you know, up until like my 30s. And I got married, I had kids. Uh, my mother died of cancer. So I went through all that like in my 30s. And then when I hit 40, right, so I'm 50, 51 right now. So when I hit 40s, uh, right around 40, I had like your quintessential like midlife kind of crisis where, I mean, I had two small children. My career was pretty much bottomed out. I lost my house. I had to declare bankruptcy. So I'm 40 years old. I got two small children. I'm in bankruptcy. You know, my wife is not very happy. And uh, and yeah, like I, I had to surrender to God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I had no choice but to surrender to God, whatever. We could talk about what that word even means. But you know what I'm saying? Because life, like I couldn't, I just didn't know what to do
1: mm-hmm. at
2: that point. I mean, it wasn't like this one moment. It was, yeah. and, and it was at that moment that I, that I, yeah, like I, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed. But I'm not embarrassed to say that I get my spiritual nourishment, like <laughs> largely from YouTube. You know what I'm saying? And just, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I read books. I get it wherever I can, or people, like wherever I can, I can get it. You know, I take it where I can, where I can find it. So right around that time, yeah, I just started watching. Sorry, one of my kids might come down here and start yelling for something because they don't know I'm down here. I forgot to to brief everyone. (laughs)
1: We can't relate.
2: I can hear the footsteps upstairs in the basement. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, yeah, so I had my midlife crisis. So I'd say about 10 years ago, I'd like to think of it as a kind of a, a dark night of the soul kind of thing. I had my dark night of the soul and uh, and that, it, you know, and everything, the thing I realized about life, or I should, all right, I, there's a lot of interesting little things that happened along the way that I, I, I might have mentioned to you. you know, one of the things that happened, like mir- like miracles, like when I surrendered to God, <laughs> miracles began to happen. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I needed $1,200 to pay this lawyer to do my bankruptcy. And I had no money, you know, and like, nobody would give me any money. Even my dad was like, sorry, kid, you're on your own. And I needed 1200 bucks. You know, I was like, Oh God, what am I, what am I going to do? 1200 bucks. And, uh, and, and right around that time, I was sort of reaching out to fans. You know, I started, uh, this is, yeah, just like I had out of necessity I just started doing like crowdfunding and, you know, I just, just offering myself to fans, like through the, uh, through the social media, whatever. So I just kind of started doing that. So I should preface this, uh, mention that part. Anyway, I needed $1,200. I talked to my dad. He wouldn't give me any money. I hung up the phone. An hour later I went and checked my email and it's like PayPal, you have, you received a payment. I checked my PayPal. There's $1,200 in there. And I had a super fan from Spain. This uh. This eccentric, like middle-aged lady Eva Sol, <laughs> who loves Clem art and lives in Spain, just sent me a thousand euros Uh-oh. with the note. I had a feeling that you could use this, <laughs> and a thousand euros equal twelve hundred dollars. Like that happened to me, and when that happened, I was like, and I mean, I still lost my house. So mm. in some sense, whatever. It's just a weird kind of thing that I have a weird like, coincidence, but but uh, so so I began. So I live. Like part of my surrender is uh yeah i like i've noticed i've i've noticed that miracles miracles happen and then i kind of and then i realize that i i kind of uh i kind of depend on miracles hmm. like i've without even realizing it i've 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 structured my life in such a way that i i must i live by faith like my i live a very very impractical I mean whatever it's not too I'm not I'm not I'm not make myself out to be some like amazing or I, mean, I don't I'm pretty like normal life but you know just the way I've structured it and 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 the way that I function in terms of my career and all that it's yeah like I I depend on miracles like I really do so 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 I think it all it all connects you know so the song started being about that that I don't even know what to say notion or that 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 pull and and i think yeah like i i'd say the record that came out uh, 2020 forever just beyond and the one before that too the songs for mary or became girls come first um were were the sort of culmination of of my dark night of the soul um or culmination but just yeah we're sort of emerged out of that out of that the last 10 years because i went i mean the, the i went almost 10 years without making a record i mean i put stuff out you know i dribbled stuff out on Bandcamp, but mm-hmm. like yeah i had a 10 year like a 10 year period right i didn't tour at all you know i haven't been in venues i didn't really make like 2010 2011 everything sort of bottomed out for me and so so yeah so the the, the record came out as a kind of and then whatever COVID sort of screwed up the narrative a little bit, but the triumphant return uh, narrative that I was really kind of banking on. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then, and then part of, and then also, yeah, having Scott Avid also pick up on, on that sort of spiritual dimension, I was a miracle. That's a complete, that's also a miracle, you know, I mean, I I can list at least three or four miracles. I don't know any other way to describe them, you know, um, or just yeah, I feel perfectly comfortable describing them as such. So, um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. You want to say something? I feel like I could just kind of ramble <laughs> on for the half an hour straight here. So. I don't. Uh, I feel hard. like Matt has a good question going. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to myself when I do these things. Sorry <laughs> no,
0: about. it's 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 great. Thank you so much. Um, no, I think that's really powerful. I mean, you you mentioned you're talking about miracles and, and, and even early on in your storm, I and you mentioned this, this idea that just life itself is this, is this miracle, right? That, I mean, you know, religion can have so many different connotations. Uh And here we are, we're, we're two pastors that do a podcast about the Bible and music that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I think, yeah, one of the reasons that we were really drawn to your work is that, um, you know, especially on these albums that you mentioned, like you're, talking about these issues of life and death and human connection, like just these really sort of core elements of existence, right? Like whatever framework you put around that there, it, it gets at something core, which I think, which I think overlaps with, yeah. with, with religion in some sense, right? Religion and spirituality. So I don't know. We really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great to hear some of that background.
2: Yeah. No, I, uh... I think that's, in a way, that's what always, like I remember I had this thought, we had these neighbors, this house we lived at several years ago, and they had two small kids and our kids would sort of play together. But but they they were super Christian, you know, young, like young couple, very like uptight kind of, I mean, they were super sweet, but, and, and there was this, there was like this tension that I felt from them and the way that they parented in this, you know, they never let their kids come over to our house. I mean, they were very overprotective and, but in this sort of Christian way. And I remember thinking uh, like, why do you have to be so Christian? You know, like, can't you just be like, why does it, you know, why do you have to like superimpose this, this, this kind of, and that was, and, and, but I, so I, I, because I never had those, I never had that structure like sort of, and I've met, I've talked to a lot of, yeah, a lot of more, a lot of fans that are people that I've had, you know, sort of deep conversations with about these things. And I've talked to a lot of people who were, who were sort of traumatized by religion, especially if they're brought up in some sort of fundamentalist household and maybe the parents. Um, you know, I do I forgot the point I was trying to make, but, but yeah, but I, when you were talking about the core, that's why I, yeah, like I think it sh- it shouldn't be so much about maintaining this like artifice on top of your life as much as just trying to just be at the core. Yeah, like this, to, it seems like that's the thing. I don't understand how people like, you know, there's like when you label me, you negate me. Did you ever hear that? It's like Heidegger or some one of those uh, smart German philosopher dudes said <laughs> that I uh, I I took that to heart, you know, and I think I've. Yeah. Like I've talked about it with people. I I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, uh, I mean, I'm talking to you guys and the reason I'm sort of trying to focus on it is obviously because you're both pastors, you know, like in some sense, like, like, could you, like, who would you be if you had, if you didn't have your religion, you know what I'm saying? Like how, I mean, that's what I'm most curious about is your, like, would you say you're pastorizing as it were, is like equivalent to me writing songs? Like, do you look at it as, or is it more like, could you be, could you have a relationship with God without that, that aspect of it? Or is it so crucial to it? Like, how, sorry, that's a weird question. I know, but I don't know how you can even answer such a question. <laughs>
1: no. So, I think, so what, I, what I've thought of um, is, you know, for, for Matt and I and our like tradition, We had to go to seminary for like four years in your twenties, yeah. uh, Which is when you've got everything figured out and you've got a real clear clarity of 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 your (laughs) purpose in the universe, right? Um, And you know, seminary was like the space uh, where we did, where I feel like I did a lot of the same stuff that I heard you talk about doing in your twenties, right? That I went to seminary mostly for myself, probably not necessarily even knowing, right? Like, I mean, that's the problem with, like, young adulthood and you're, like, in <laughs> your 20s, I think, right, is that lack of, like, I don't know all the things. I can't see all the things that are, like,
2: but that are making your, me
1: do the things that I do.
2: Are you drawn – is being drawn to a seminary similar to to kind of, you know, joining a monastery? Like, is there a sort of appeal of of being removed from from the – from the you know the sort of fallen world and, and being more cloistered, or is it more that, like like a therapeutic thing? Like you can't wait to get in there and just and talk <laughs> to everybody about their deepest you know sort of concerns. You know what I'm saying? It's, or both? Like is?
0: I mean, I can. For me, it was probably the opposite of that. So like, I was drawn to seminary to explore some of those questions. Like that was that was my way in. Like I wanted to explore these God questions. I just had all these questions. That's not necessarily why everybody is drawn to seminary, but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to explore all these questions, but I also like, I chose to go to seminary on the South side of Chicago because for me, part of exploring that mystery was like moving to a place where I had lived before and learning more about the world. And so like the city of Chicago was as much a classroom as like the actual right. seminary. So it was sort of the opposite of a monastery, right? Where I was like, I wanted to be in the world. And I especially want to be like in those places in the world where like, you know, I didn't grow up. I didn't have those experiences. So I don't know. That was my and, journey, but I don't know. about Yeah.
2: And, uh, and sorry, I just said, yeah. the, and were you guys, I mean, were you sort of encouraged by your family to do it? Like, did you have, were your family also religious in that way? Or, or was it, did you kind of go against your family to do it to some extent?
0: I, I think my family was surprised, but I like, I I grew up, um, I grew up in the church. So they were supportive in the sense that like, yeah, like that would be a positive thing to be, but I don't know that they had the same conception of it that I did, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Um my family um wasn't like super gung ho about it initially. Uh I did my undergrad in civil engineering. Uh and yeah. so um from where the social location where I was coming from, um, I think there was a lot of encouragement for me to like move to this like place of like security, um, right? And being an engineer seemed like a very secure place to be, and that I was giving that up to.
2: Oh, really? So being a pastor is is almost seen as a kind of yeah, you know, like joining the Peace Corps, or like something where you're not you're not really doing it for. I mean, obviously. But I would think becoming a pastor, you do have kind of a certain job security no? like or, or is it always like you gotta have to hustle to get is it a hustle
1: <laughs> It's something of a hustle, you know um it you know my dad run, ran a lumber yard right, so we we knew engineer type folk and, and could see the lives that they led, led and um right okay, and so is this thing that was
2: Right. It was it was more like you're just going to a different world or the, Yeah.
1: You know, I mean in my family, family, like is it's pretty stuff. ethnically Lutheran, <clears throat> um, you know, growing up in the church and stuff. So it wasn't completely uh-huh. crazy. Um but I think there was some disappointment on that. Yeah. End of things. I, I think I went, you know, more as um uh it seemed like the only option, only other option I had yeah. at the time. Um Because if I wasn't going to do the engineering thing, like I felt like I needed to have a plan of some sort. Uh, And so really helpful that someone was there to say, hey, here are four structured years where you'll figure things out, Um, which is not what happened. But um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's such an interesting because I I felt like that, too, as you're talking about like so the beginning of the journey. A pastoring when you're in seminary and right out of it it's like yeah no there's lots of structure and like you write papers where everything makes sense because it's all got to add up to something and then the further and further you get into this work the more I don't know the less certain things are the more mystery there is the more you're kind of living into that does that sound right Zach
1: yeah I mean I uh I remember even like uh at my house, you said something about like having the revelation that like rock and roll was going to die. Um, uh, and, uh, and you know, the church isn't a growth industry, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, right, right. the numbers aren't coming in. And as and, uh, like uh church really taken off these days. So to like, it's a weird thing, you know, especially at this point in my yeah. life to like have committed and to like feel committed to this, dying institution
2: yeah i mean i i uh, i listen uh i've listened to some yeah some people talking about that about like why you know why so many people are turning away from religion like what it, is, what is it about like how can it sort of revivify itself or i don't know you know i think uh, i've been I don't know if you guys ever heard about that book, The Fourth Turning, but I stumbled upon it recently and it it brought me some comfort just in that it frames history more as like a cyclical, just points out that there's these patterns that are roughly coincide with, with the generations and then one complete pattern is a saculum. It's like 80 to 100 years and then each one is broken up into four stages or four turnings. And uh, anyway, the one that we're in now started after World War II. That was like the last. That was the end of the last saculum. And uh, and yeah, and, it, and he, the guy point. I don't want to get too into it, but he he's like a historian, uh, social, you know, sort of scientist kind of guy. And and uh, it was written in the '90s. Actually, fairly prophetic. But point of it, the point I'm trying to make about it is, uh, yeah. So right now we're like we're like deep into the fourth turning like we're kind of going through the crisis the crisis period and i wonder i don't know when i read it it was just because i you know it's, it's easy to fall into this sense just because your own life is is you know you're everybody like everybody's sense of time is is kind of limited to that saculum because you only live about 100 years you know whatever and even if you're lucky and uh, and then and then the, the place where you are in life, and your particular stage in life, and where that sort of lines up with wherever the you know t- which turning it is, and then, but uh, but I took some comfort from it, thinking that, or just you know c- considering that yeah we're in the fourth turning right now, but then what comes after the fourth turning is always a kind of rebirth. I think people like that's what religion, like I think that's what religion can offer you know because like the culture is so godless and so secular it doesn't people don't understand about about being reborn or they don't know that there's there's yeah that that there's a it's
1: that deep 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 aversion to death i think um i yeah. think what what I'd say about like seminary and and its real benefit to my like development as a human um is uh there are a couple of people who have written about it in different ways like you know Richard War talks about there the are two halves of life um, and yeah. that not everybody makes it to the second half because um, we get stuck in the patterns of the first half and the actually yeah. some other guy has this language that I really like <clears throat> uh, who talks about like development and that in order to yeah. move to like to continue to grow as we said earlier like at some point right. you have to experience the sacrament of defeat is what he calls it um
2: yeah. That's uh man. That's it. Like, that's, that's what I, I think that I've read that Richard Rohr book about the second half of life. And that's, yeah, I think that's uh that's, and that's what, that's what, that, that that's what seminary did
1: for me. for me is like, it made me, <laughs> it pushed me to places where it was very likely that I was going to experience it, you know? So that like, after our first year, we have to go, uh, I had to spend three months as a chaplain in a hospital where you're just drowning and people dying every day. Yeah. Um, that it, it, we have like a draft for your like first job afterwards. Right. And I got sent to Bakersfield and, uh, where I got to di- swim in the, in the, in the, uh, in the fully deep waters with no, uh, swimmies of, of like depression and loneliness and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. that like, it pushed me to experience the sacrament of defeat in ways that like the life that had been given to me would not have pushed me to, towards, um, yeah.
2: Well, no, it's, uh, I mean, that's, whatever, we can talk about, I mean, that's the the kind of miracle of Christianity, I think, is that it, yeah, it it somehow, it somehow transcends that paradox of, like, a victory in defeat, you know? Mm. And uh, it's unfortunate that, like, people have so made the Faustian kind of bargain, it seems to me, in the culture, and, and just... And it's also like corporate, you know, everybody, everybody only identifies as this, as this body that's, that's sure to die, you know, but, but like without, yeah, without some, something beyond you, you can't be reborn. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to, you need to go into the, into some unknown part that's beyond you. And, and yeah, like my sense of it is, that unless you unless you have some sort of faith that that there is something that's beyond you, you know, whereas the culture says there's nothing beyond you, you know, it's a very like one percent thing. Like the only way you're going to find happiness in this life is if you if you're beautiful and rich and famous, you know, those are like the sort of promises that the culture offers, but but they're such hollow promises. They're only available to like one percent. So everybody resents the one percent the 1% are miserable too. It's just because, you know, everyone is just, is trapped in this like limited sense of, of themselves. Uh, I don't know. That's what it, you know, so I try to push against that, you know, just to, just to uh, yeah, just to like, I want to, I want to, I like, what is, what does it mean to be really free, you know, like to really free your mind and really free your heart? Like, what is that? Like how, how deep does that go? You know? And, and like, and I think, uh, yeah, like my sense of it is that when you step, when you step outside of yourself, this is a nice way I thought of saying it recently was And going back to our, our thing about like religion and, and sort of where do you go? I think when you step outside of yourself, it doesn't matter. Like one step outside of yourself is a step towards God is how I look at it. You know what I'm saying? Like the minute you just take one little step outside of that bubble of yourself, that God is right there waiting. Like all there is on the other side of that bubble is God, you know, God as the sort of ground of all, of all being sort of idea, like that sort of Meister Eckhart kind of, kind of sense of it. That's how I, uh, that's how I, that's what it feels like to me, you know? Um, Like it should be, it should be very easy, you know, this in some way, like you shouldn't have to go meditate in a cave on the top of the Himalayas, to find God, you know, like a lot of times it's, it's sort of, it's sort of presented in that way, you know, that it has, that it has to be, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it does, maybe you do need to, yeah, you do need to go through some very difficult stuff to like to, to just break those, 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 those chains, like those sort of in your mind, (laughs) you know, um, to undo the sort of glue that you have kind of with your sense of self, I mean, that's what it felt like to me like i just felt yeah like i i, su- I surrendered i it's like taking a trust fall you know it's like it's like taking the nesty plunge remember that commercial where <laughs> the, guy takes the he falls backwards into the pool like, like that's what it feels like to me it's like you just have to yeah you have to like let go
1: i i don't want to to put too much on here eve but i'm afraid you may um you may be lutheran um <laughs> Because nothing will get Lutherans more excited than uh talking about paradox and tensions and liminalness oh, yeah. and stuff you know, and you just crush it. like it's i mean in the out like the album it's all over the place right like the the train like the way um because that's what you're getting at right like like you don't have to go to the top of everest um. Right. But it is this, like, this tension, this paradoxical thing that, right, like that, that, uh, you know, you write a lot about transcendence, but also like heaven's right around you, um, that it's, yeah. that those things aren't disconnected, that they're both.
2: Yeah. And, that, and, the, and that
1: to go to one, you need to go to the other, right? And, and if you go to the top of Everest, all it's going to do is, is drive you back to, like, reveal how, how how you didn't need to do that, you know?
2: <laughs> I mean, which is not to say, which is not to say that you should just like, you know, kick back uh, on the beach with a, with a beer and some Jimmy Buffett playing in the, in the distance. And that's, and that's like, you've cracked the code. <laughs> like my sense, I I think I have a very, like, I'm more of like old Testament. I feel like in, in the sense that I are very like Jewish in that I, I think that life is uh is about suffering (laughs) it's not a pleasure cruise like you didn't come here to just relax and chill i mean you need to do that sometimes obviously and and i don't i prefer pleasure to pain like every like every other sort of being you know sentient being but i think that your yeah like your soul your ever ever living soul comes into a body to learn to suffer and die so that sounds kind of grim, but <laughs> well, what else could it be? Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me otherwise, you know, like the idea that it's just random, meaningless, you know, happenstance, which is the sort of status quo, whatever, like materialist perspective makes no sense to me at all. Like you've, I mean, whatever, I'm sure Richard Dawkins could probably talk circles around me, but how could you, you're a fool. You're like, he's cutting out like the most important you're 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 just chopping off like the subjective part of the whole thing which is like the most it's so much more interesting than the objective you know what i'm saying like the kind that we're the fact that we're conscious the idea that we're just conscious because we were like apes whose hands got too big and then oh our brains are too big oh what a bummer like i mean yeah maybe that's how it physically sort of came into being but but to think that that's all it is uh I guess yeah in some sense i can't like that angers me you know like it makes me angry <laughs> like i'm almost an i'm almost less of a theist than an anti-atheist you know what i'm saying <laughs> like i don't mm-hmm. i i yeah like i get punchy uh but i'm not an apologist i can't be an apologist but i don't know what i am but you know uh but yeah like i i guess i can't i can't live like you need to have you need to have some way to turn your your sorrow into grace that's another thought i had about it like if you don't if you don't have some way to do that then you better hope that you don't get handed too much sorrow or else you'll you'll just be you'll just be devastated yeah. you'll be wrecked you know and i see it man i see it and people all around me, you know, I mean, I've been around for a while and I've seen how people age and and how they live their life. And, and I try and, you know, know them as much as I can. And yeah, some people, a lot of people, I think just don't. And that's where maybe religion has failed. I don't know. Maybe if in the past it was easier to do that, but it seems like now it's because everybody, that's the Faustian bargain part of it, right? That's the devil's part. The devil says, Oh yeah, you can be God. You don't need God. Right? I mean, that's the Luciferian like rebellion was that you don't need God. We'll be our own Gods. We'll worship ourselves and we'll just live for our own happiness as we conceive of it and our own well-being. Um and yeah, that doesn't that just somehow just doesn't quite do it, you know? Like it doesn't like people people need more than, than that. Like you you worship yourself, your your uh yeah, like you're you're actually yeah, you're kind of giving up the, the you're giving up an opportunity to to be more than yourself in that in that way, which I think you should always Yeah, like that's what that's like the, the the wisdom of like religion is is so clear to me as I've gotten older and but I maybe you just have to get there, you just have to kind of stumble your way in into that kind of sense of it, you know. I don't know.
1: Well, you know, it's not like the <clears throat> The church or the religious traditions have uh, have made it easy on themselves or everyone else. Um, you know, the church itself and, and religion itself has made its own Faustian uh, bargains. And that that what some of the work that that I most enjoy because I get to work with uh, a lot of young adults is um, is that at its best, right? The tradition, the religious tradition, the the stuff that lots of it is you know super dusty and um confusing and, and intimidating it, yeah. in it there is you know it's redeemable right that that this that if we if you really immerse yourself in it it it's a way it's a language and stuff to get you to yeah. that can help you get to you to these places and that's what you know i really enjoy about the album as well right like it, it's so it just felt so true uh, and true in a way of like, here are all these things that I'm that in, in my like professional work and trying to communicate to to young people w- without using, you know, Matt and I are both in the West. Right. And so like yeah. more so than other places in the United States, uh, especially here in Boulder, right. Religion does not get the benefit of the doubt, which is fair and fine yeah. and stuff. Right. But like, if I start throwing religious language at students right away that it's, it's not going to help us get anywhere, you know? Um, but to find some, well, it's hard, some better it's language hard. to wrap those.
2: Yeah. You, I think it really comes down to the, to how you language it. I mean, it really is about, yeah, just expressing it in some, in some new way that, um, yeah, because, uh, um, it's a bit like, I mean, it's. I think in a way, it's like you don't ever have to because you're not you're 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 not under the pressure of like updating your sound. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can just keep sort of singing the same old tune. You know, and that it and that it needs just because there's no. It's not like oh, the record sales are down. You know, we need to figure something out. Like you're never in the, in a way, but that's like the paradox of, sort of tradition. Like how do you keep it a tradition, but then update it? Again, back to that. Paradox. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say. But yeah, like uh, I know we talked. I don't know. I remember we mentioned it. I I don't know. I don't know if he's he's controversial for you guys or not. But I don't know if you followed like Jordan Peterson at all. I I think Jordan Peterson definitely did a lot to kind of bring a, a new, yeah, to bring a different way to kind of to kind of approach approach these like biblical. I mean, you know, his whole biblical series. You know, whatever. Forget about all the sort of political aspect of, of who he was. I don't know how familiar you guys are with him, but but those uh, really, no, you should watch those. Um, I mean, it started. There's a whole corner of YouTube that I that I stumbled into through him, where I where you know a lot of the conversations are about like why, like Jordan Peterson is like filling you know these three four thousand seat rooms, like selling them out quickly and giving a three hour lecture about, you know, the, the early books of the Bible. And, and then the, you know, these preachers are like, or these pastors like, well, why can't we, you know why we can barely draw a crowd whatever. So, so that started, uh, um, but anyway, we are just talking about, yeah, ways that it, that it, that I, I think his success or his, you know, all, yeah, the, it was because he like somehow tapped into that energy and he, and he brought it and he presented it to people in, in yeah, not in necessarily a scientific way, but more like a psychological way. So, and uh, and it was, I thought it was kind of amazing, you know, that that yeah, that he could get young people to be so interested in hearing lectures about, you know, like Genesis. And and, uh, and yeah, like the, the I'm wisdom, actually surprised the these thing. days
1: with the number of students who I interact with who have a deep interest in Genesis. Not so much the book, but uh, prog rock. Very popular with college yeah, the students, days, <laughs> surprisingly.
2: Look, everyone loves Phil Collins. You know, <laughs> Phil Collins. Black people love Phil Collins. White people love Phil Collins. Is like the glue that kind of holds all people together. Society, I mean, really. Yeah, all of society <laughs> is, is held together for
0: years. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. <laughs> all, all races, <laughs> all classes are. are we together. did
1: do a whole summer series where uh, every week the, the Old Testament reading was out of Genesis. And we uh you know we make a playlist with the Bible uh, and we limited ourselves only to Genesis songs to go with the book of Genesis.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot that I forgot that's part of your podcast, is right. You make playlists <laughs> that's uh, that's too much. I can't my brain can't handle that on top of this. Now I gotta think of like songs that go along oh, Jesus. It's too much too much. we to the- think about
0: That was going to be one of my questions is uh, you have put out a couple of covers lately and you put out some covers of Journey. And so I was curious, like what led you to decide to cover Journey? I mean, you've got like, sure, Bob Dylan, singer songwriter, like, sure, that makes sense. But Journey, like the arena pop rock band, like that's an unexpected choice, right? Which I think is where some of the power comes from. So, so two questions. Uh, One is what made you think Journey Uh, and follow up question when can I expect some Phil Collins in Genesis? Uh-huh.
2: I know, right? Um, well, the journey, there's no, uh, I just kind of stumbled into that, um, into that, into those journey covers. It's, it was years ago now, like 10 years ago, just for some, uh, it was like part of the Onion AV Club. They were doing like a covers thing and uh, and they gave me a list and I just had to choose And uh, yeah, so I was playing the uke a lot at the time, you know, I was doing a lot of like, and I thought it'd be cool to take these big, yeah, these big sort of epic journey tunes and just shrink them down (laughs) to the, to the baritone uke. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I always, I, to, to me, I would never try and do a cover and just do it the way that it's done. Like that, to me, that seems like just about the worst idea you could have (laughs) unless you're, yeah, like in some kind of tribute band or something. And then that's, you know, you're trying to make it sound just like, but, but the further away you can get from the original is, is what makes it fun. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I like, uh, and those songs, yeah, those songs, I mean, it's, it's funny how, how those songs have become like almost kind of sacred to the culture. You know, there's a certain transcendent quality that they seem to have now. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I support that, but that's, that scene maybe it was just because that sopranos episode that, that <laughs> like that moment you know that last sopranos episode had had that don't sell i think that had something to do with with like reinvigorating journey but also very litigious they tried to sue me because i didn't pay them the appropriate uh hmm. or i didn't sign that or put the cover. like no one's ever done that to me i've covered people no one cares i mean i been selling lou reed songs on the internet for 20 years and lou reed's never contacted me uh Oh, he's dead now, but I wish he would. Um, <laughs> if Lou Reed contacts Journey, you, anyway, could
1: you come on the podcast yeah. to talk about
2: it? <clears throat> yeah. That'd be a good a good uh, podcast. Um anyway, but yeah, they're kind of pricks. Like they're they're uh, they're very litigious and they, they um but uh, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm not sure. <laughs> I forgot what we were talking
1: about. Well we're really uh really grateful, you know, for your art and for for being on here. Uh I just have my closing question, which is uh, you know, um there are a lot of great outdoor music venues in the state of Colorado. Uh, I was just wondering where you thought my backyard rated. Uh, you know, yeah. in comparison to like Red Rocks and
2: stuff. Red Rocks, right? It's just a couple, just a couple sh- shades uh, uh, lighter than uh, than red, uh, red. Like pink rocks or something. Uh, beige. Rock. We're thinking about bringing no, in
1: more rocks. You know, to. Really I, I had make a great time.
2: Out. I had a great time in your backyard it was uh it was it was kind of ideal in a way, you know, as far as these kind of these uh these uh yeah, these like a rough and tumble home shows where i just sort of show up and and yeah, like i there's no contracts, there's no fee, you know, i do i keep it real, real loose and real free and uh i never know i never know what to expect in that way i mean i have some ideas like that you know it's just a backyard with some people so it's not human you sacrifice you know what i mean like you right? so, uh, um, swinger i've never been to one you know like, um, nudist uh, but you had the uh, yeah, those little kids running around and that and that was you know if not a little distracting also very sweet mm-hmm. and i like uh, i like those kind of shows that are a little a little messy and uh but then have those moments where where I feel like people are just really digging it, um, you know? So yeah, no, it was great, dude. Really. I thank you again.
1: Of course. For awesome it. for us. Uh, but you're, uh, you're going to be like touring, right?
2: Yeah. I'm doing a big old tour starting in January. Um, I mean, yeah, this is like my big tour back, you know, back on the public stage, um, back in venues after 10 years, And, uh, yeah, so far I I hear good, you know, I'm hearing good, you know, ticket sales are doing all right. So (laughs) I'm so prepared to, I'm so like conditioned to just fail. Like, (laughs) I mean, Clemson has just been like a a slow motion kind of parade of failures. I mean, every record, every not like every record we made, like never really took off. And then the band, you know, it was just like one, I mean, it was really, it's been 20 years of, of, uh, of constant failure failing upwards as they say <laughs> um but uh i don't know but i i'm excited to do it i feel i feel really good about about just uh yeah just playing some tunes for people cool I'm excited
1: so uh check it out uh vinyl preachers uh you can go to uh Eve's website which i i love uh that it's clemsny.de <laughs>
2: Yeah, that wasn't my idea, but I'm glad. Yeah, you love committing
1: it. to the bit is important. Um, <laughs> you got to
2: commit. You got to own it. That's
1: right. You can check out the tour dates. Uh, we do have a decent number of listeners in the Carolinas, where there are a number of uh, opportunities and shows for you to check it out.
2: Yeah, um, we'll be there in March.
1: I have to work on Tuesday nights, and you're playing Denver on a Tuesday, so I might drive down oh, to God. to Albuquerque uh, with uh, right. one of our friends for the date down in in the newer version of Mexico.
2: (laughs) The latest version of Mexico. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's great. Let me know. uh, Yeah. Let me know if you're coming. For sure. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks. uh, Thanks again, you guys. Really, it's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And it's time for the texts here on the second Sunday after Epiphany. What a convo. Of Epiphany after Epiphany. Do we have that?
1: of after
0: yes what a combo
1: I can't comprehend such limited thinking in the wake of our, our conversation with Eve who I think endorsed Indeed. the pergola as the premier outdoor music venue in the state of Colorado that's what I heard that's that, what I heard is that what you heard Not to go back and listen
0: okay <laughs> so we've got a text from Isaiah
1: and text from John fantastic man this is King Sunday isn't it Dr. King Day is the next day Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yep,
0: yeah, indeed. I remember preaching this uh, text on internship at another mm-hmm. congregation because I would get blown oh, out. Yeah, that's part of my role. And uh, and uh, I remember I did not appreciate uh, well. I was it was I was very intense. Uh, I also think it might have been right after the I don't know. There was some there was a natural disaster of some kind. Anyway, the uh, the pastor that church said strong word. Strong word. It was like, it was clear. It was like, he couldn't say he did a good job, but he wanted to say something. And he said, strong, strong word. That was the yeah. kind of compliment that it was. So I remember that now. Yep. Preached on it. On the King Sunday and wedding at Cana. Sometimes they align.
1: Boom. So Isaiah, Matt.
0: Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord shall give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman so shall your builder marry you and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you word of god word of life
1: thanks be to god uh we're setting up a lot of uh marry marriage talk getting married marriage marriage mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah, clearly, I mean, clear, clearly the text chosen for its tie-in to the gospel. And I guess, um, I mean, it's, a, gosh, you know, obviously it's a little bit challenging with um, trying to think through all the different uh, connotations that marriage might have in your mm-hmm. culture and in your community and, and what all that means. But um, but one thing that I think it draws our attention to is just... Uh, kind of what marriage might mean in the gospel text, like, not just like, Hey, this is like a random social event, but this event as like a culmination, this event as like a thing that pulls together the community, this thing, this event as like uh, a lens through which to understand, um, you know, God's culmination, God's God's promised kingdom, God's promised day, and, and what that could look like. Um, that may or may not be your metaphor of choice uh, thinking about marriage in that way. But, um, but that's seems to be something that's going on here in this old Testament text. And that is one way to think about um, that gospel text too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's marriage as salvation, right? Marriage is the thing that's going to marriage is the thing that's going to save us here. And that, uh, and to hear one from a historical perspective, that's true uh, in a lot of ways that, you know, especially as a a woman, uh, to be married was uh, to to find a place of security in society. Um, Certainly not perfect. Uh, Also important to remember that the ancient Near East uh, had a different understanding of wedding, of of marriages, than we do. What I think is kind of interesting here, that I think I'm going to play more with this text once we get into the gospel, Matt, is while they both talk about marriage and uh, the weddings (laughs) – they're not the same at all, right? The The role that the marriage and wedding is playing in the story and in the in the pericope in the reading is pretty different. Um, and I think that, that having this text be informed by the understanding of, of what's happening in the gospel is the way to go so that you're not just triumphantly, you know, the obvious guardrail here is you don't want to preach like, oh, marriage is the best way that God loves us. And if you're not married, you'll never know the way that God loves us indeed
0: indeed amen to that i i will um probably get to move to the gospel then and see see where that takes us but i will since we did mention that it's king sunday um that first verse uh might be super helpful i mean mm-hmm. that seems like a pretty pretty good time for zion's sake i will not keep silent and for jerusalem's sake i will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch i feel like there's a lot to work with there if you want mm-hmm. to do so. Past, present, future connections uh, on King Sunday.
1: Anyway. I like it. I like it, Matt. On the third day, that feels prescient, like that might come back later in the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, ooh, you know what did not give out at the Clem Night Show at the Pergola in Louisville, Colorado? The wine did not give out, nor did the beer fridge give out. Um, so can't relate to this story very well, but we'll do our best. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, They have no wine, Jesus said to her. Uh, woman, which is how all good followers of Jesus address all women. Woman, what is that? what concern is that to you? And to me, my hour has not yet come. But the mother said to her servants, Do whatever he tells you. And now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. And Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them all the way up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. And so they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. And Jesus did this, the very first of his signs, in Cana and Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord, Matt.
0: Praise to you, O Christ. So we get a miracle story. We get a miracle story. Uh, do you have, do you have initial thoughts? I Gosh. I've got some connections to our interview, but that's about what I. What guess.
1: are your connections?
0: Well, just, uh, you know, it was interesting. I mean, Eve was, was talking about miracles, um, but then also like just mentioned this idea of, of rebirth. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that, I don't know that I've thought about this text in quite that way before, but, but that's. I guess that's how I'm seeing it today as rather than just like a magic trick of refilling the wine that there's, there's a rebirth that happens in the midst of this wedding that like something has run out and then it's, it's, it's begun again. There's, there's actually a a death and resurrection that happens in the midst of this wedding. Um, There's a rebirth. And I don't know, I think I'm going to be looking at it from that perspective today.
1: I like it. I like it, Matt. To set the uh, social historical context of what's going on, here. Uh, so weddings, right, or big deals, any social event, um, you know, implied the whole community would be there. And it appears that Jesus's family and Jesus' mother are somewhat closely connected to the, the family that is getting married. It could be a relative. We don't know, right? Jesus could be related to the person who's getting married here. Because Jesus's mother is upset when the wine runs out. Because it would be a shameful thing Um, it would not be an honorable thing to run out of of wine at a wedding. And so the implication here is that Jesus' mother is upset about it because it would bring dishonor upon their family as well. Um, And so what makes this miracle pretty remarkable, I think, is that Jesus first expresses some hesitancy, as he does in most of the miracle stories in, in the Gospel of John, where he has to be kind of talked into it. I think he has to be kind of talked into it in part because what so much of Jesus is life is about in the gospels is about redefining and reshaping and not being concerned with the honor, shame cultures of the society around him, that he's redefining what it means to be honorable, um, that his family's counting on him here and that he's, he's redefining what family is, right? Who are my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, with those who do the will of God. Um, he's going to say that right in a couple more chapters. Um, But what I think is remarkable about this miracle story is that Jesus compromises. Like his first miracle is kind of a a compromise with the world in which he finds himself. Um, That he doesn't say right here, who are my mother and sister, father, right? He doesn't do that right now. He says, oh, I can see the situation you're in and it's not perfect, but I can work even in this like... I can compromise, right? And I think that's the good news is that Jesus like doesn't have a purity standard. Like it's not a purity test that Jesus can, the life of God can work in our imperfect situations to find those like, gosh, I loved the way that Eve talked about miracles and how he lives by miracles uh, and how beautifully broken his miracles were, right? That like that someone gave him $1,200 $1,200 in order to pay the attorney so that he could continue in the bankruptcy of his like stuff, right? Like that's a super beautiful and broke like, you know, tragically broken miracle. Um, and that's the kind of miracle I think this is that it's not perfect, right? It doesn't solve all of the problems, but it's enough for today. Uh, and it's enough to get through today. And those are the kind of miracles that, that are in, in, in many ways more important because, you know, most of the time we just need to get through that day. And so to read this miracle back into that, uh, into the Isaiah, into the Old Testament text, that that that's really what like, you you know, it's not super controversial to say that marriage is about compromise. um, But the the messing, like the reality of the messiness of marriage that we know um, is it's just perpetual compromise. right like it's it's nothing but compromise and not in the like conflict resolution way right but that like everything about like tying your life together with another human means that you, everything is compromised right like you um and yet in that there is there can be uh life beyond measure despite the the obvious limitations that it it demands
0: amen amen so lots to work with
1: in these two texts. I'd love to preach this. I, am I on the 16th? I think I am. I Would might you? be. Oh, <laughs> I might be preaching. <clears throat> preaching a lot in general. Good.
0: Good. So you're going to be preaching. What, uh, what are you going to be listening
1: oh, to? Oh, I'm going to put bleachers. There are a lot of good songs about getting married. Um, most of them are, uh, little too optimistic, a little too sugary, a little too Isaiah-y, but I'm going to go with Bleacher's Let's Get Married, which evidently he wrote the day after uh, the election of President Trump in 2016 as this like – it's an interesting thing. I read like in a little interview about it that – trying to transfer the euphoria of like a moment into like making – let's just make this big decision and change everything uh, Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So – that is what a marriage is. A wedding is a big decision that changes everything. Um, so I'm going to put that on there. Then I'm going to put uh, from the civil wars uh, who we saw mad at Coachella. Uh, I'm going to put poison and wine. Uh, which is a nice little song. And uh, then I wanted to put a Clemson, a Clemside song on from the album and I'm going to put sorry, Charlie, which is about partying. Um, and uh, I could hear it kind of playing. Um, you know, during uh sorry, Charlie. We can't party anymore. I can only pray that Billy Joel's mother was at the wedding at Cana, ah, yeah. which is the story that that Eve told as the lead into that night at the uh, at the show at my house. Into sorry, Charlie, of uh, it's true. I remember it <laughs> of uh, inebriated Billy Joel's mom on a tour bus with him as tour guide. What uh What are you gonna be listening to?
0: Uh well in light uh in light of this interview and in light of this text, how about how about don't stop believing?
1: Mm. Don't
0: don't stop believing people at this wedding party. Uh when we'll do the Clem Snide cover of it. Uh don't stop believing. And then uh I can't believe I was gonna bring up Phil Collins and he brought up Phil Collins first. Zach, Man, cool. everybody loves Phil Collins. Oh my gosh. It's the
1: only thing holding our society together. Wow.
0: Tahina's gonna be so excited. Uh Phil Collins, let's let's throw Phil Collins' song on there. How about uh Against All Odds? Maybe maybe Against All Odds will fit this, will fit this text. You coming back to me and filling up those uh water jugs against all odds. And then uh finally, yeah, I know so many good so many good merit songs. I feel like I need to pick a song from Bruce Springsteen's The River. Bruce Springsteen just sold his catalogue to Sony. I don't understand these deals. I don't get it. it but it seems to be a, a whole thing uh but he i I recently got the river on vinyl the river is an album the the front of it has his face on it as a lot of his albums do but then the back are like like, with a little like wedding it's It's not it's not that's not what it is it's a lot of wedding like pictures and imagery and like a cake topper and stuff and the album is the album it's one of it's one of chris's favorites it's uh it's this mix of like party songs and then like really really depressing songs like the river the actual song the river um and they usually have to do with uh there's usually some marriage stuff in there but like i don't know life that doesn't go the way you planned and all these different things um so it's there's there's weddings and marriages in it but it's all the i don't know there's a lot of complicatedness in there um so i'll do from that album I wanna marry you. Oh. Little girl, I wanna marry you. Uh, and then go back and, and check out the lyrics because like in a lot of the songs, uh, it's the, the the verses are usually more complicated than the chorus. So check it out.
1: I like it. That's what I got. I like it, Matt. Well what did it good up, good up, I think. <laughs> good up. It's been real. Real vinyl.